Welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and I'm coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home Network International. First, I'd like to thank so many of you who've listened to the Deep in Scripture programs over the years and for your support of our work. My guests and I have thoroughly enjoyed discussing Scripture, and we've always appreciated your comments. What I'd like to do with this particular episode of Deep in Scripture is to launch off onto a new genre for this program. In the past, we've often focused on what we called verses we never saw, and often they were scriptures that either we had come to a new understanding, which opened our hearts to the Catholic Church, or they were verses that we just didn't notice before, and the Holy Spirit used to awaken us to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ and His Church. What I'd like to start with this program is some studies on what I'm calling being, abiding, and abounding. And with these programs, my guests and I will examine scriptures that describe different stages of the conversion process. And of course, this can be a bit controversial, depending on different Christian traditions. From a Catholic perspective, we recognize that there are stages in the conversion process. And One way I'm describing that is being, abiding, and abounding. In other words, being in Christ, abiding in Christ, and then abounding in Christ as a result of how we are abiding in him. One could essentially say that there's a a pre-abiding stage. There's the stage in which a person has not yet either heard of Christ, heard of the church, or been moved by grace to respond to the good news. And so therefore, they're before coming to faith in Christ. And there are many scriptures that describe that. A good example of that is Romans chapter 1, where it begins, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. So here Paul is describing people who are outside of Christ, outside of the church, have not yet responded. And there are lots of verses that describe people before they were changed by grace. And then there are scriptures that describe that change that happens when a person responds to the message of the gospel, responds by grace, and then by faith and baptism become a new person and are received into the body of Christ. And of course, a a classic example of that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So this describes that initial stage of entering into relationship with Jesus Christ by faith and conversion. And whether we experience it or feel it ourselves, the scriptures promise that when this happens, we become a new person. We've been changed. The old is gone. The new is come. Now, Our walk with Christ, though, doesn't end there. And there are traditions that kind of describe it that way, the once saved, always saved crowd, if you will. But Scripture, as well as the teaching of the church, the tradition of the church has always recognized 
that this beginning, this is but a beginning in our walk with Christ. And so from here, we are always free to move forward or to move backwards. We are given grace to uh, discover Christ, given grace to put our faith and life in his hands, but we are always given the freedom to respond. And so we can move forward or we can move backwards. And there are verses in Scripture that describe uh, those that have, by faith and baptism, entered into relationship with Christ in the church, but then, for a number of reasons, fall back and away. And a classic example of that description is Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 4. When the writer says, For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then commit apostasy, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. So the description here is of someone who has been received into the church through the sacraments, enlightened through baptism, but and have tasted even the blessings, the abounding blessings of the Holy Spirit. But then they turn away and they turn back and they go back to what they were before or maybe even worse. And there are verses that talk about that. But on the other hand, we're called to move forward, to continue to grow in our faith. And one of the classic examples of that is in John chapter 15, where our Lord says, uh, I am the vine, you, my father is the vine dresser, and every branch of mine that bears no fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. And in that verse, it talks about uh, becoming in Christ, being made clean, brought in to a relationship with Christ. But then verse 4 goes on. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here he talks about, he commands his followers to continue, to abide, to remain in him. And this involves, again, a free act of the will, the intellect into the will, to respond to grace, to respond to the word of Christ. The word, as he says, which made us clean, and that's how we understand baptism, the the stain of original sin has been washed away, and we've been new creatures in the body of Christ through faith and baptism. But now we must remain, abide in him. And as a result, both of coming into Christ, that's the first stage, and remaining in him, or as John writes in Revelation, conquering, staying faithful, persevering, then we will abound. And there are many scriptures that talk about the results or the rewards, if you will, 
of our being in Christ and then abiding with Christ through this life and on to the end. And the verses in John 15 also speak of that. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we abide in Christ, our lives produce fruit. We are changed. We grow in virtue. We grow in humility. We grow in love. And as a result, we receive blessings from God. I'm not referring here to a health and wealth gospel, as some interpret it, but we become more like Christ in our surrendering to him as we abide in him. And as it says in uh, Romans chapter 8, he says, When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. So let me stop there. That describes what happens when we accept Christ, we turn to the Father, and then we are then in Christ. Our lives have been changed. We are heirs with God. But then Paul goes on. He says, Then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So in this description, he recognizes that in our abiding with Christ, that often requires suffering and obedience and sacrifice. And the result of that, the abounding, will that we may also be glorified with him. And so there are many verses that talk about uh, what we will receive as we walk with Christ. Sometimes it's suffering, but also it is uh, the beatific vision. One day, if in this life by grace, we abide in grace until we pass on to the next life. So there's lots of verses that I'll either cover myself or I'll invite guests to discuss with me to talk about how a particular verse needs to be understood as a part of the stage of the journey to which our Lord or the New Testament writers were addressing. Now, the importance of this is sometimes people apply verses to different stages of the journey when that is not the intent of the author. And I'd like to close this portion by just giving an example of that. A verse that's very important, especially to uh, non-Catholic Christians that want to emphasize the once saved, always saved understanding of the faith, or want to emphasize that we are not saved by works, but by grace, they will often point to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Let me read that. For Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now often verse 8 is interpreted to mean that the, we have been saved now by grace in that the salvation we have is the salvation that we will therefore experience in the end of time. 
But that's actually not the context of the verse. If we go back to the beginning of that chapter, Paul says, And you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul begins by describing life before Christ, that the Ephesian Christians, before they knew Christ, were dead through the trespasses and sins in which they once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And Paul will, in another place, say that he was likewise, even though, if you remember, he was a Jew. But he recognized and admitted that he himself in his heart was lost. That's before Christ. And that's the context of these passages. Because it goes on, and then he says, Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, Paul is including himself in this pre-Christian, pre-Christ existence, separated from God. In verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. And so what's he talking about here? What he's talking about is that it was by grace that we, and that includes you and I, were pulled out of our previous life when we were separated from God into the present life with Christ. He's describing here the initial stage of our walk with Christ. We were lost before, and the reason he saved us out of that was not because back when we were lost, we were doing good things and we were good people and somehow he was rewarding us because we were such good people back then. No, he is saying that regardless of our lives, we were lost. It wasn't because of the kind of people we were that he reached out to us, but it was by his merciful grace who reached out to us by his love for us, awakened us to the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then that grace empowered our intellect and our will, and then we responded freely by faith. So in other words, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. We are now in Christ because of what he did to us while we were yet lost. 
And we can't boast about that. It wasn't because we were great folk back then doing such great things. It was because of God's grace and his love, which is the beginning and the foundation for whatever faith we had that brought us into Christ. But it doesn't end there. We aren't guaranteed of eternal security because of what Christ did for us, pulling us out of our lostness. But he brought us in to live the life, or as he says here, to do the works, the good works which God prepared beforehand. Why? That we should walk in them. If you jump ahead, for example, to chapter 4, now he's addressing, St. Paul is addressing those who through faith and baptism have been drawn by grace out of their pagan past and into the church. But in chapter 4, he begins with telling them, now that you're baptized, now that you're a member of the church, now this is how you are to abide, how you are to continue living out this baptismal life. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all lowliness and meekness, with patience for bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you see, there's these stages. We were lost before and actually, even if we were baptized as babies, we need to confirm that. Through that baptism, we were brought out of that lostness of original sin, and we were cleansed, enlightened, as the author of Hebrews talks about. We were given these graces, but there comes a time in our life when we have to willfully respond to that. If we don't, we can drift back that baptism doesn't guarantee us of anything. In fact, to him who is given much, much is required. And so that's what confirmation does. It challenges us to confirm that new life we received in Christ, and then now with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we try to continue abide in Christ throughout this life. And then the result is we look forward to a time, if by grace, we will experience the beatific vision, as well as the strength to endure the sufferings that we may encounter in this life. Please stay tuned for future episodes of Deep in Scripture when I'll be inviting my guests, and sometimes I'll be alone, to discuss other verses that talk about the different stages of our journey, being in Christ, abiding in Christ, and abounding in His love. Thank you. God bless. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.